Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 250. Yeah, you got to use these cars. You, you know, if you, if you let them sit in the, in the barn all the time, they're going to rot. You don't want them to seize up, so you've got to get them out and use them. Periodic exercise of, of these cars is essential. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Ford Haycock. Ford, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Well, I'm ready to go, uh, Mark. I've got my lap belts on and my Honda device, my helmets in my lap, my gloves. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, let's hope we don't need that Hans device today. I'll be very careful out here on the track, especially uh, talking to an insurance person. <laughs> Good. Ford W. Haycock III is a veteran insurance professional with a passion for collector cars. He grew up in the racing community of Sebring, Florida, where his family was intimately involved in the 12 Hours of Sebring throughout the 1950s and 60s. His grandfather, Ford Haycock Sr., was chairman of the Sebring race in the early years. Ford created the SVRA, Sports Car Vintage Racing Association, and Vintage Motorsport Magazine, which is one of my favorites, which he founded in the early 1980s. And then in 1989, he began offering his insurance expertise to car collectors, and as a result, Haycock Classic is now recognized nationally as a leader in the collector car insurance business. Ford is the founder and host of the annual Lake Mirror Classic Auto Festival, held each year in October in downtown Lakeland, Florida. And today, he's an active participant in the car hobby as a car collector, a vintage racer, car show judge, car show host, and collector car insurance specialist. So Ford, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, Mark, your opening remarks were pretty thorough. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, I I would say that I love cars. I, you know, we've talked about some of our f- friends in the hobby, like Barry McGuire or uh, Peter Brock that you've been on your show. And I, and I think, gosh, you know, we're all in this hobby uh, Together, it's all about passion. You know, this is we're as passionate about cars as uh, people are other great sports, like equestrian riders or 
professional swimmers or golfers, whatever. This is what we do. It's our, our hobby, our passion, and uh, it's a community. You know, it's a group of people with common interests, and, and that just, for me, is, a, is great to have that common thread with so many people. And when I look back on the years that I spent organizing vintage car races, I think of all the friends that I've made and how those friendships are so lasting. Uh, today, I, I can go to a vintage race and encounter people from 30 years ago that were racing with us at Seabrain and having a great time. So it, it's a great life, I think, when you're in a, in a hobby and you're able to make that your business. You know, that old proverbial, uh, you'll, uh, what, what do they say well, about Well, it was that? Henry Ford's quote, I think. He said, if you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. There you go. I'm that guy. You're that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's something that's been instrumental in your life and your business for forming your success, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning. Here on Cars Yeah, I know you love to drive, so Ford, take the wheel. I think one of the great mottos that we use in our business uh, today is the term, what matters to you matters to us. To me, that says a lot about who we are. It says that we care about cars as much as you do. And when you're in the business of providing insurance for collector cars and vintage race cars, our clients want to know that we understand what they're doing. And, you know, if somebody calls us about anything from a 57 Chevy to a a Porsche race car, you know, we've got folks that can talk fluently about uh, the cars that they own. And, And I think the fact that we demonstrate a passion, a shared passion for the cars and what you're doing with them is a connection. And when you're able to connect with someone, particularly in our business of insurance, you know, we're selling a product that's not tangible. It's invisible. Insurance is really a promise. And so it's about connecting. And I think once people establish that, uh, that they trust who they're dealing with, it really establishes a great client uh, bond with us that, la- that lasts. So we're in the hobby. You know, we do all sorts of things in the collector car hobby, uh, from hosting a, a major event uh, to insuring cars, to sponsoring events, to participating in events, judging the shows. We kind of do a little bit of all of it. It's, uh, so I, it's easy for us to stand behind that statement, that what matters to you matters to us. I love that comment that what you're selling is a promise, because insurance is one of those necessary evils, if you will. You know, it's for us people who are into our cars, and especially our collector cars, Having to buy insurance is this uh, thought that uh, something might happen. But I love the concept that it's a promise to me as a customer that if something does happen, you're there with me. And the fact that you're a collector car guy yourself, you understand the passion that goes into the car hobby is so important. So I love the way you answer that. It's fantastic. And your motto for your company, your mantra, if you will, is so appropriate. You talk about growing up in a car family. I mean, my goodness, the history of your family going back to the Florida area and the races and Sebring and all that is just incredible. But could you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew that Ford was a car guy? (laughs) Well, I told you, I think earlier that a lot of times folks refer to me as a 1950 Ford. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was born the year the Sebring race started. A lot of folks think it's ironic that I'm Ford the third, so my grandfather and my dad were Ford, and then my brother Austin 
is uh, the second or third Austin in the family. Well, oh my gosh. ironically. <laughs> What's your dog's <laughs> name? <laughs> well, I have a dog named Harley. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I expect and that. And we have a dog named Enzo. So we, we kind of there you go. We, we, we do that as well. But uh, the family names are just incidental. Uh, family names go back for generations, and it's ironic that we've ended up having such a love for cars. Sebring was really a special place when I was growing up, Mark. It was... You know, Seaver is a little, little tiny town out in the middle of nowhere in central Florida, in the middle of the orange groves and the pine woods. And, and suddenly, uh, you know, every March it would be transformed into this international center of motorsports. People would come from all over the world and, and transform this little town. And, and the locals, for the most part, were not really well-versed in what was going on in the international sports car racing scene. But they were like completely engrossed in making Sebring a hospitable place for these people to be welcomed and and the whole community got behind the Sebring race. You know, I remember uh, when I was in Boy Scouts, you know, our project every spring was to go out to the racetrack and prepare for the the race. You know, we would paint the bleachers or the concession stands or erect snow fencing or, or hay bales and you know, so the community of Sebring was involved in preparing the circuit. And then, come March, in would flow all these race teams from around the world. And suddenly you'd walk down Main Street and all these wonderful international languages would be spoken. And, and the whole character of the city changed. And I remember uh, Juan Fangio used to say that Sebring was really the only place that he could go where nobody recognized him. <laughs> you know, because if he went to Havana or or if he was in Europe racing, he was mobbed by huge crowds. Well, Sebring, as I said, the folks were not really that familiar to what was going on here nationally. Right. Juan Fonjo could walk down Main Street and nobody knew who he was. <laughs> not get kidnapped like he did when he was in the... <laughs> Sterling Moss, I, I first met when I was eight years old. Oh, my it, gosh. That was one of those memories that stays with you. I was, my dad had taken me into pit lane, and it was nighttime, 12 hours of Sebring. The race was going on, and Moss came in for a pit stop. And I heard this horn go off, and I didn't understand what the horn meant. Well, it meant there was a car coming in the pits. You better get that out of the way. Get out of the way. So I got up against the, the wall. And in uh, roars Sterling Moss in his car. He jumps out of the car and doing a driver change, and he casually walked over, and and he he and my dad knew each other, and, and I get an introduction to Sterling Moss. It was wow. like a hero. Yeah. Well, to go full circle, years later when I'm involved in organizing vintage car racing, Sterling Moss became one of my best friends because wow. he come back annually to race at Sebring with us, and we just had grand time and uh, what a wonderful gentleman and uh, you know advocate for motorsports of all kinds but uh, today an advocate uh, a spokesperson for the vintage vintage racing hobby as well and his lovely wife Susie they're just great ambassadors for our, our sport absolutely well I have the luxury while I'm talking to Ford here of seeing him because we're skyping and I see the smile and gleam in his eye talking about his childhood and growing up and experiencing these things. It's just fantastic. I can tell you are such a passionate guy. I was very lucky to meet 
Sir Sterling Moss and have dinner with him when I was at Retromobile about three years ago. It was just by chance. We ended up uh, with a group of people and he joined us for dinner at this little restaurant down an alley in Paris. And I have to say, sitting there with him and listening to his stories and how gracious he was and nice and his, his wife Susie, exactly the way you described him. And I kept sitting there pinching myself saying, am I really here? Is this really happening? So very fortunate to have him as a friend. Ford, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've started several businesses. You have a very successful business today. But with these businesses and this entrepreneurship always comes a challenge or even great failures. And I'd love for you to share a great challenge or failure you've had along the way. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, I may be referred to as a serial entrepreneur. I've, you know, I'm always uh, interested in starting new ventures. And in Sebring, when I came back from college, the opportunity to volunteer and help with the race promoter, who at the time was Charles Mendez and David Cowart, uh, I volunteered and, and helped them at a time when someone came up with the idea of inviting old race cars to come back and do a parade prior to the 12 hours of Sebring. We did that for a couple of years as a volunteer, and, and each year the parade got a little bit more spirited. <laughs> <laughs> One year that somebody decided, well, let's pull the pace car in and see what happens. So they let them run for a couple of laps. So, well, that was the beginning of what became the Kendall Vintage Grand Prix in the late 70s at Sebring. We, we ran the Kendall Vintage Grand Prix, and I was asked to chair that, and it just wildly successful. I mean, over a, like a three-year period, we, we doubled the number of cars that we were bringing in. So that led to the formation of the SVRA. Uh, at the time, we called it the Southeast Vintage Racing Association. And uh, I remember my very first mailing uh, for SVRA was to like a list of two or 300 people. Membership at the time was $35.00. And I'm in my late 20s, and I mailed this out, and I think we instantly had like 150 or 200 people responded and sent me $35 checks. Hey, wow. I thought, holy cow, I'm in business. Yeah. And uh, so that's how businesses start sometimes. You just get a wild hair, and you invite people to support you, and voila, there it is. So we were in business, and uh, the first official race for SVRA was a road Atlanta in uh, 1981, and it was a support race to the Can-Am. And we uh, went to Atlanta and had a, had a great event and, and then began building SVRA. And over the, over the early years of the 1980s, we grew it to, uh, I think, eight events. It included uh, Seamarine and Palm Beach and Road Atlanta and Mid-Ohio and Watkins Glen and, and some other great circuits. And ultimately, in the late 1980s, I was contacted by the Bahamian government. They, they said, we think what you're doing is pretty, pretty neat. Um, and we've had an effort by another fellow to try to do a vintage race in Freeport, Grand Bahama Island. And that did not work out so well. Would you be uh, willing to host a vintage Grand Prix for us? And so the Bahamian government hired us. Wow. And I flew to Freeport. And we had to design and erect a street circuit in downtown Freeport that went around the casino. And now keep in mind, I'm only, at the time, I guess I'm 
in my 30s, but I had no experience building a, a street building a street circuit, circuit. yeah, and uh, fortunately. Uh, you know, they, they provided some help. I would tell them what we thought we needed. So we we had cement barriers built. We had a bridge erected. We wow. you know, we did the, the whole deal. And, uh, well, this thing grew tentacles like you wouldn't believe. Before I knew it, I was dealing with an airline to get people there, a cruise ship that had a cargo hold, so that when we sold packages to participate in this event, and it was a four-person package that got you four people to the event, hotel for nine days, and your your all your equipment went over on the belly of the ship. So in Miami, we'd roll down the, the nose of the ship, and it was four lanes wide. We took race cars, tractor trailers, fire trucks, ambulances, and wreckers. We had to take everything we needed. Wow. So the Atlanta region of the SCCA had a caravan that came down from Atlanta to Miami, and they loaded all their equipment onto the ship. We loaded 100 race cars and all the equipment that they had along with it. And uh, we went to Freeport, offloaded on the other side, and it was a nine-day party. Yeah, <laughs> sounds night, like we it. Had, we had a major party. The Bahamian government rolled out the red carpet. They had movie stars, beauty contests, wow. government officials. I mean, it was, a, it was a grand deal, and we had a wonderful time. I did that for, I ran that event for two years, uh, which was just before I ultimately sold SVRA, but that was the most complex event or project I think I've ever tried to tackle. Can't and imagine. Actually, and we pulled it off. It was a great time, and uh, uh, after I sold SVRA, the club did not attempt to continue it because <laughs> it was just too complex. Too complex. Yeah, what a huge challenge. Oh, my goodness. Well, particularly for a bunch of amateurs. I mean, <laughs> vintage car racers are amateurs just going for a good time. This suddenly became a big deal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sounds amazing. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments you've had in your career. I always like to say it's when the hi- the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea, a new direction. You call yourself a serial entrepreneur, which I love. Could you tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into your success? Well, vintage racing uh, started life very simply as a hobby uh, turned business, one of those entrepreneurial moments, if you will. Well, throughout the 80s, uh, Vintage Motorsport came to, was birthed during that time. We started Vintage Motorsport Magazine. I found that the insurance business, which I was really my day job, mm-hmm. was demanding more of my time. The vintage racing, the magazine, and then coincidentally, our two young boys came along <laughs> in the late 80s. And so Kate and I were really faced with some challenges of trying to make everything work. And I said, well, maybe it's time we shift gears, and uh, so I decided to sell SVRA and Vintage Motorsport, uh, and within a year, uh, had successfully sold those two businesses, but recommitted myself to our insurance business, and there was the aha moment. I realized that all these rich relationships that I had developed through the SVRA and Vintage Racing experience had uh, created for me a pool of, of potential customers. So I started turning my attention toward insurance for vintage cars, and so to speak, the rest is history. I suppose you could say it worked. 
So today I'm very proud that Haycock Classic, uh, which is a uh, collector car insurance program nationally with over 30,000 customers, has become the largest and most significant part of our business. Well, that's a wonderful aha moment. Congratulations on those successes. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm sure you've had a lot of proud moments in your career, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Our business, which my grandfather started, was uh, sold to my father and my uncle in the 1960s. And so uh, growing up in the family business, I always aspired to one day be able to uh, really have full control of the family business. And uh, it it was a long, long road because when you have a family business and there are a lot of family involved... (laughs) It can be challenging. Oh, yes. Uh, but uh, through a series of very fortunate events, I was able to uh, acquire 100% ownership in our family business about three years ago as we speak right now. Wow. And uh, so I was very proud of that. Uh, it's allowed me to be truly entrepreneurial and that I'm not hampered by other opinions. I can I can pull the trigger and, and, sure. and make something happen. And, and so it's, there's a great sense of freedom when you own your own business completely. And when you're involved in a family business, well, you you have to have a lot of respect for everybody's input. Absolutely. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. You've had a lot of great cars throughout your life, but could you share with us your first really special vehicle and maybe a memory that you had with that car? I've always been fond of British sports cars. In the early years of SVRA, a close friend of mine uh, took me out behind a barn uh, nearby here in, in, in the weeds with all kinds of crud on top of this vehicle and weeds growing up through it. It was a 1954 Austin Healey 104. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, so we rescued that car, and uh, we did a, a moderate restoration uh, initially on it and uh, went vintage racing. And I vintage raced that car for two or three seasons, and I looked around SVRA, and I realized, you know, here I am, the guy running SVRA. I need to do something about my car. Because <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a little rough around the edges. So then we spent some money on the car and, and restored it properly and really turned it into a beautiful vintage race car. And, um, and I had a blast with that car. It was just so uh, smooth and, and neutral feeling and I can remember racing at tracks like at Road Atlanta, Mid-Ohio, and just feeling a sense of really being in a rhythm and being in that space where they say you're one with the car. Oh, yeah. You know, as an amateur, you probably don't experience that too often. I, I really felt I was there. Yeah. And I had a great time. And I, When you think about moments that, that really stick with you, I, I was at Sebring one year, and we were in the vintage race, and I was headed down to the hairpin turn, which is very famous in Sebring. Now look at my rear view mirror, and here comes this big Aston Martin DBR2, Uh-oh. driven by my great hero, Sir Sterling Moss. Oh my gosh. He just pulls up beside me and gives me that little salute that he was so famous for. Yeah. And see, we both kind of, you know, rounded the turn together, and he pulled away, and I thought, that's really cool. Oh, that is, I've got goosebumps listening to that. That's beyond that's, that's, cool. That was a moment, you know. That I, was a I, moment. I'll cherish that one for a long oh, time. Oh, gosh, yeah. I can't even imagine. 
How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've sold in your past that you really wish you could have back in the garage? Well, there are a lot of them, but that Healy in particular is one I'd love to have back. I regrettably sold that to raise money for Vintage Motorsport Magazine. Oh, okay. And so I would say that Vintage Motorsport Magazine is alive and well today because of <laughs> my selling the Austin Healy in the late 80s. Uh, I've, I have followed the progress of that car. I went to California and uh, was out there for a number of years. And about two years ago, I got a, a letter from uh, an email, I guess, from a gentleman in Sweden who had acquired the car, and he sent me nice photographs of the car sitting on a beautiful little cobblestone courtyard nice. in some nice property in Sweden. And uh, it's obvious that he's very pleased with the car, and I'm afraid that it's unfortunately out of my reach today. It might but be that, there for a while. <laughs> it may be there for a while, but... Uh, the car looks great. It's well has a nice home, and uh, I'm I'm happy for him. But that's a car that I would love to have back. I love those vehicles. That's definitely on my top ten bucket list of cars to own someday. They're just absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. How about a vehicle that you bought that shortly after you said to yourself, "What was I thinking?" I've got a 1929 Ford Model A Speedster. Oh wow! I bought that car on a whim. It was in our uh, the, the previous owner, Ray Morgan from Atlanta, brought it to the show that we host here in Lakeland. And it was a real crowd pleaser. People really enjoyed the car. And I took it to Indianapolis last year and ran, drove the car in the vintage race that was hosted by SVRA, the first vintage meet at Indy. Oh, wow. But you got to keep in mind, my background was that I was instrumental in in. SVRA for such a long time, and safety was a big issue then. Uh, I certainly think of safety as an insurance man, but uh, this car has no roll bar. Oh, yes. So I'm out racing this car with no roll bar, skinny tires, uh, sitting up high, and every moment that I'm going around, I'm thinking, what am I thinking? Yes. Well, i got to tell you, I was thinking of having the time of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. It was a great time, but, but when it was done, I said, okay, I probably don't need to do that again. Yeah, uh, I'll, use the, I'll keep the car, I'll use the car, uh, but in a more uh, a safer setting, perhaps, parades and yes. maybe some small road tours. But uh, I don't think that uh, I'm the guy that ought to be racing an open-wheel car with no roll bar. I'll leave that someone else. Yeah, when I go to vintage races and I see some of the really old cars out there like that, and I just think, oh, my goodness, yeah, be careful, be careful. Yeah, dangerous. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, yeah, indeed. Uh, recently, uh, we ran into an old friend at a vintage race in Savannah back in the fall, uh, General Dennis Ledbetter from Savannah who's well-known in this part of the country for his vintage uh, uh, collection of Porsches. And, and uh, he had a 1960 Porsche 356 Speedster Super 90. Lovely car, well-prepared, that he had raced in vintage racing. And, and he kind of aged out of vintage racing. And he said, it's time for me to start letting go of some of my cars, my particularly the race car. Mm-hmm. So I was able to acquire the car from Dennis, and uh, he's a retired Air Force general. He's just meticulous about his equipment. The car is extremely well prepared. 
We took it to Sebring uh, for our first outing with SVRA uh, in March, and anticipating that we might be on the trailer after the first session. Well, lo and behold, the car ran every session, every lap of every session, and we got fa- faster every time we went out. Nice. And you know, the, the opportunity to get acquainted with a new race car and began to learn its nuances and what you can, you know, where the where the limits are. Nice. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, and this is a lovely car that I think I'm going to be able to enjoy for a long time. It's an enclosed car with a full roll cage and all the fire suppression equipment, all the things that will make my my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my, my, did I say life or wife? Well, I think you meant both, probably. I was yeah, thinking the yeah. same thing, make I your wife my, happy. <laughs> make my wife a little more comfortable about my my adventures. Yeah, wow. Sounds like a fantastic car. The old Porsches have a special place in my heart, so uh, sounds fantastic. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Ford. I think you've already answered this, but I'll have you maybe elaborate on it. If you were a car... What kind of car would you be and why? Uh, well, I may not have a... Uh, I mean, there are a lot of cars that I love. Uh, just j- jokingly, I would say I'm a 1950 Ford. You know, and if you think about it, uh, they're not uh, real flashy. You know, the old shoebox Fords are just kind of steady, uh, uh, dependable. And I, I, I think that uh, I don't think of myself as a flashy uh, guy. I'm, I'm just... Want to get the job done? Right. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so I think I think 1950 Ford fits me okay. I think so. Sounds fantastic. So Ford, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our Cars Yeah sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at CarpeGear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. Okay, Ford, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what that means. The white flag is out. Time to put our foot into it, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and I'm asking you to give our listeners some real quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, as a collector of, uh, of some nice cars, and I don't think of myself as a large collector, but I've got a few cars. And, you know, you got to use these cars. You, you know, if you if you let them sit in the in the barn all the time, they're going to rot. You don't want them to seize up. So you've got to get them out and use them. And, and uh, periodic exercise of, of these cars is is essential. And it's good advice, and I would gladly share it with your listeners. Absolutely. Every car that I've let go as it drives away with its new owner, I've looked at my wife and said, I should have driven that more. <laughs> I saved it for that guy. <laughs> would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Well, I think from a business standpoint, it would be that uh, you gotta you got to listen. 
You know, I think people that, that are in sales sometimes get preoccupied with uh, their message and what they're going to say and forget to listen to their customer. Excellent. Uh, and when we were, whether it was organizing vintage car races or, or writing insurance on collector cars or doing a magazine, we were always trying to, to be listening to what our customers needed. And I feel that that's a piece of that's a personal thing that's very important to me is listening and trying to be there when folks need you. Absolutely. And I love Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. And I think it's habit number five. He says, first, listen to understand, then speak to be understood. And it's so important in proper communication. Yes, indeed. Good advice. Yes. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy? We've talked about collector car insurance, and Haycock Classic is our collector car insurance division. We've started to uh, try to expand our resources on our website so that folks can go there to uh, uh, maybe secure information about the collector car hobby, the events that we'll be at, and so forth. And our website is very simple. It's haycockclassic.com. I would invite your listeners to check in with us uh, if they uh, are in the market for collector car insurance. It'd be nice if they would consider us. Is there a book in the past that you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy? Well, you know, being a a Sebring uh, sports car nut, the great rivalry in the 60s was between Ford and Ferrari. (laughs) And uh, when I read the book Go Like Hell, A.J. Bame, yeah. Boy, howdy, that just, that just captured me. Uh, you know, I could see myself there and uh, could just see and sense all of the, all of the energy of that uh, rivalry between Ford and Ferrari. I was able to go to Le Mans in uh, 1980 uh, with my friend Charles Mendez, uh, and he was racing a Porsche. And, boy, what a great experience. Oh, gosh. Yeah. My, my duty was to work the signaling pits. Oh. And the signaling pits are at the end of the Molson Strait. As you round the, the corner, there's a row of bunker like pits that were built in the, gosh, decades ago. Mm-hmm. And they have a landline back to the main pit. So because, because the circuit, you know, you're, you're miles away from pit lane. Right. Well, this was not a high budget race team. It was a privateer team, and the signboard that I had was your typical race signboard where we could put a personal message on there, you know, time to come in for a pit or whatever. And, and so when the car would come by, I would hold our pit sign out and uh, deliver whatever message I'd received from the main pits. Well, next door to us was the Porsche racing team. Wow. <laughs> and they had erected this monstrous tower with a hydraulic arm that swung out over the track with an illuminated message board. Wow. That damn thing must have cost them $100,000. <laughs> yes. So sitting there with our handheld sign yeah. next to this swinging arm. Holy cow. <laughs> and it was, it was fun to be right there next to the big boys for a little while. Oh, <laughs> must have been fantastic. I would love to go experience that event someday. That's uh, on my list. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Ford Haycock. Ford's last name is H-E-A-C-O-C-K. 
Okay. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Ford, and this last question will be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to buy you whatever car you'd like, and I'll even throw in the insurance. How's that? Oh, Mark, how can I resist? (laughs) What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, I remember this car fondly from from the mid-60s in Sebring, uh, I would say my dream car would be a 1964 275 GTB4. Ooh. Uh, that car to me just is voluptuous. You know, the long hood, the 12-cylinder engine, two-seat sports car. It's got all the, all the right components for me being, you know, just because of my background. Right. And, uh, uh Unfortunately, Mark, that was going to set you back a few bucks. Ah, uh, yes. I'm going to have to get one of those big golfers checks out. You know, the real <laughs> long ones for a lot that's of right. zeros. That's yeah, right. but that's okay. I'm willing to do that for you. They're beautiful cars. It's fantastic cars. Have you ever had a chance to drive one? Well, I've driven some Ferraris, but not the 275 GTB. Uh, I've driven, uh, I got to vintage race, a, a, two, a 250 short wheelbase Berlinetta on a Road America one year. Wow. Gosh, what a sweet ride that was. Just so, it was like a sewing machine. It was so smooth. Yes. Just very neutral handling. It was just a wonderful ride. Joe Marchetti, who's long gone, but uh, Joe was hosting the uh, historic races at Road America in those days, and he loaned me this car to take out, and, and I just had a great ride with it. Sounds fantastic. Ford, you have taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that 275 Ferrari? Well, <laughs> thank you, Mark. I look forward to <laughs> yeah. taking off in a minute. Because our business today is collector car insurance, I think it's, I'd like to leave you with a thought about insurance, and, and we, we'd like to remind Folks, insurance is uh, somewhat complicated. It's not well understood by everybody. You know, a lot of folks just buy insurance based on price, and they really they forget that it's that they think of it as a commodity. You know, okay, if, if it's uh, two hundred dollars, I'll I'll take the least uh, deal that I can find or whatever. It would end. You know, it's not about going to the market and buying an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. It's invisible. You can't see insurance. Right. Well, there may be a paper document. Insurance is, as we said earlier, a promise. Mm-hmm. It's a promise to perform when something bad happens to your collector car. And so the advice that I give is to do business with people that you feel you can trust, that you can have a relationship with. You can talk, call, and have a conversation and understand each other. Because the worst thing you want are surprises. Mm. You don't want to be surprised at claim time to discover that your car is not insured for its agreed value or that maybe you can't decide which repair shop is going to do the repairs because you can, uh, your insurance company is going to direct you to their shop. Right. Well, with the collector car insurance today, a lot of these policies that, that we and others sell are designed to let you do those things, pick the repair shop that you want give you the agreed value so that in the event of a total loss, you know how much you're going to be paid in advance. So collector car insurance, which has evolved kind of at the same time frame that, that we've been doing all these things in my lifetime, is really a wonderful product today. And I'd recommend if you've got a special car, 
that you buy the correct insurance. And uh, give me a call if you got a question. Absolutely. Well, you said give you a call. So what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, Haycock Classic is our insurance division for collector cars. And our phone number for that program is 1-800-678-5173. And our website is haycockclassic.com. And Haycock is spelled H-E-A-C-O-C-K. Fantastic. Listeners, again, you can find everything Ford has been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Ford in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with all of these links, links back to his business. I encourage you to check out the Haycock Classic website. It's really cool. You'll find all sorts of great things there that I think you're going to enjoy. Ford, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been really fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.